Hello and welcome, Nationals fans, to our midweek podcast. Thankfully, the rain can't stop us podcasting. I'm your host, Blake Finney, and I'm already sick of Skittles without eating them, thanks to the tarp. Later on, we look ahead to the Dodgers series with Dodgers wayside expert Jacob Rudner. But first, we have our Yankees series review. Well, the six-inning review of the Yankees innings that we played. Um, we start off with our player of the series. So aside from the tarp puller over guys who got their money's worth on Tuesday... Uh, we have to go with Anthony Rendon, really, who hit his fifth home run of the season in the first inning. And his power's really coming along of late, which is a good sign for someone who's a notoriously slow starter for the majority of his career. So if you can start to get Rendon back just in time for some of the other guys who could come back from injury, then that really starts to build that foundation of the lineup and make it the powerhouse that it has been the last few years. So... I look forward to Rendon progressing even more and he's going to provide Harper with some protection. If Harper's hitting two, then Rendon hitting three behind him, sometimes it'll be Kendrick, is a bonus for this team. And we may even see Rendon rested again at this ser- at some point in this series. Um, we've got the lefty Alex Wood, so potentially they bring Defoe in or uh, maybe they rest Rendon against Stripling, for example. So... We'll see how they work it. Um, he's not too long back from injury, so uh, we'll wait and see how Davey plays it. One of the other themes from the few innings that we did get in on Tuesday was Gio Gonzalez putting several base runners on, and it's starting to come back to bite him a bit, a little bit. He gave up the two-run home run to Tyler Austin and three runs in the whole game. Uh, one of them was unearned because of the Stevenson and Adams error, but... Even so, when you start to put runners on, as it's as it gets towards the summer and the weather starts heating up, then it's going to snowball a little bit where he's leaving a runner on every inning. And then now, a, now we get into the summertime, a long fly ball may turn into a home run and then that just builds up the run count. So it's something he's going to have to turn around. He's going to have to strike more guys out or get it on the ground a little bit more to prevent those base runners coming back to haunt him but the field in independent pitching is still kind of in line with his ERA so it implies that he's getting soft contact he's not giving up walks Um, and obviously the home run rate is one of the lowest in his career so far one of the other players on the net who will actually probably be quite pleased that we're going to get a few more days off is Pedro Severino who's been playing the Iron Man of late and Without Matt Wheaters, he's been called on to play a lot of games, obviously, on Wednesday, had they actually played both games. He probably would have sat out the second game and let Spencer Keyboom start off. Um, He's really going to need to manage himself a little bit more, especially with the news about Wheaters, which are going to come on to soon. But so far this season, Severino has proven that he deserves a shot at the starting catcher role. He has a 274 average, 386 on base percentage, uh no home runs yet so he's still going to have to find a little bit more power in that bat but showing such a maturity at a young age and batting towards the bottom of the order his job isn't to drive runs in it's to get on base start turning the lineup over get on for the pitcher to bunt him over so 
he's doing exactly that. And in the National League, if your eighth hitter is hitting 274, you've got something going. I touched on it just then, but we got some additional news on Matt Wheatus today. He underwent surgery on his left hamstring on Wednesday, and he could be on the DL for quite a long time, if not all season, there's some mutterings that we've seen so far. So that's somewhat concerning, but potentially not with the development of Pedro Severino so far. So Wheatus has been huge, and obviously he's a great defensive catcher, but... Severino has shown he's just as good. I think they're both tied on three defensive runs saved so far this season. So we're not going to miss out too much by playing Severino instead of Wheaters. But what that does mean is they may need to bring in an outside veteran catcher. I saw that Chelsea James of the Washington Post tweeted she thought the Nats were going to make that kind of move at some point, obviously. Spencer Keyboom's a nice player. And right now, they probably he probably came up sooner than they would have hoped. I think had Rowdy Reed not been suspended, he would have been the one called up. But we're <laughs> we're we're basically where we are, and Keyboom's the backup. Obviously, he'll be capable enough in the majors. But ideally, you want a veteran to lean on to help Pedro Severino develop. So you might look at someone like Carlos Ruiz, who's still on the free agent market. Obviously. We saw him a lot in his Philadelphia Phillies days. Primarily a defensive catcher then, but at some point he has put together some nice batting seasons, so he might be a nice bench bat to have and a veteran who can come in and play once or twice a week and also tutor Pedro Severino and make him a better player. So we'll see if that materialises, but I think the free agent catcher market is quite thin at the moment, so they may well look towards a trade. And I know... One name that fans are particularly keen to see is Wilson Ramos, obviously. His first national stint didn't end the way anyone would have hoped. It ended in a nasty-looking injury in 2016 that meant he missed the playoffs and subsequently probably missed out on a nice big contract that he could have earned, and he more than did that with the Nationals. He was batting clean-up for a lot of the time, so in the end he had to settle for a two-year deal with the Rays, uh, and it's kind of playing out how we expected. The first year was... Not not really a write-off. His aim was to get back healthy. So he sat out the first half of the year, performed okay in the second half, but again, he was focusing on getting healthy, not pushing himself with the bat. And this season, he's reaping the rewards of that. He's hitting really well. He's looking like the old Buffalo. He's playing a few more times a week as well. So he's potentially someone who could come in and split time with Severino. And the fact he was only on such a short contract means... The price for him may not be too much. Uh, one other that I'm going to actually post an article about tomorrow is Blake Swihart from the Boston Red Sox. He demanded a trade recently because he's not getting a huge amount of playing time. Obviously, the Red Sox have had Christian Vasquez and former national Sandy Leone fill in at catcher for them and do a pretty good job with their pitching staff. So... It's kind of left Swihart in the cold and they've tried to make him a utility man, putting him in left field, putting him in first base, giving him a couple starts at catch if it hasn't quite worked. So he wants a fresh start. Could the Nationals be it? I'm going to talk about it in our article tomorrow, but for someone who's looking for a trade and someone who can play catcher, I wouldn't completely rule it out. Um, but I think in the majors right now, there's quite a lot of competition of teams who are looking for catching now but I don't think the Mets are gonna be overly happy with Devin Mesorocco he started well but 
you can never count on that. He's been injured so much in his career that potentially two weeks down the line, he's on the shelf for the whole year. And the Minnesota Twins just lost Jason Castro to the DL. So he may be an option or that team may be an option for either of those players. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, and then finally, some other injury notes. It's kind of a, been a recurring theme that the Nationals' big players are getting injured, but Adam Eaton revealed this week that he hopes to be back in six weeks, so that takes us to the end of June or start of July, which will be a huge boost for this team that was somewhat worried about him potentially being out till August. But I think the thing with Eaton right now is where is he going to hit in the lineup? Is he going to hit at the top of the lineup? Is he going to hit second behind Trey Turner and in front of someone like Bryce Harper or Anthony Rendon, potentially? Um, we saw him have so much success at the start of the season at the top of the lineup, but that was before we saw Trey Turner really blossom into a true leadoff here in this early part of the season. So right now, if it were me making the decisions, I'd quite happily put Eaton at second when he comes back because then you're not putting pressure on him to steal a base where if you're hitting Trey Turner at the top of the lineup, he can easily swipe second if he gets a walk, which he's shown he's more than capable enough to do this season. And the final injury note that we're going to come on to is Daniel Murphy is heading down to West Palm Beach to play in some actual games at the next spring training facility. So he's making progress and we could potentially see him before the month is out, if not the start of June. So that's going to be huge. The Nationals adding someone who's finished within the MVP voting the last two years. So that's going to be huge. And me and Drew, the old site expert, talked about it at the start of the season. The focus on Murphy was to get him healthy, keep him there, make sure he's ready for October. Obviously, we didn't think it would drag out this long. We thought, oh, yeah, we'll um, it'll just skip April at the most. And now we're in the middle of May and we're talking about a June return. But he's actually going out to play games now, which is only a positive sign, really. So next up, I've got a special guest joining me to look ahead to the National Series against the Dodgers this weekend is... Dodgers Way site expert, Jacob Rudner. How are you doing today, Jacob? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, hopefully you're not too tired after the early start today. Yeah, I'm uh, more tired after the, the way that the season started than I am from the early shot today. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit odd having a nine o'clock game in the morning, but I guess you're, you're used to it on the West Coast now. <laughs> uh so like I said, Jacob's here to help us preview the next series against the Dodgers. So uh, the Dodgers so far are fourth in the NL West. I think they overtook the Padres today. I'm not sure if the Padres have finished yet or not. Uh, they've been kind of middle of the road in hitting and pitching stats, which is a bit odd given their subpar record. But I guess given the team, it's not much of a surprise. Um, is there any insight into that? Is it kind of losing lots of close games so far? Um Honestly, the the real explanation that I've noticed across just across the board so far this season has been some part of the team fires when the other part of the team is not. So you have you have games where the pitching is on from from starting to bullpen and the batting is non-existent, and then you have games where the starting pitching is good, the bullpen is off, but the batting is good, and the bullpen will blow the game late. So I just it's it's more been a, a model of inconsistency for each three parts of the team being the bullpen, the starting rotation and the batting. And, and that has been what's just thoroughly killed them to start the season. Yeah. I think we saw it in the, the previous series that we had where pitching seemed to dominate that one. 
other than like the first inning against Kershaw. Yeah, and and that has been a pattern that has not that was not actually only and unfortunately that that has been ever so present in in series against teams like the Reds who we just got swept by and and they're really the Reds are the worst team in baseball right now arguably better than the Dodgers at this point but I mean you notice that 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 was that was not the first or latter where something worked when everything else didn't and it just it goes on to to bite them in the in the in the butt I mean for lack of better ways to say that just because you when when one thing's not working everything's not working mm. So in their last series against the Marlins, the Dodgers had a quick three-game set against the NL East bottom dwellers. They lost the opener on Tuesday, 4-2, despite late home runs from Cody Bellinger and Yasiel Puig. They also lost on Wednesday, Wednesday as JT Realmuto, who a lot of Nats fans are crying out for, continued to torment the Dodgers in a 6-5 loss. And then, as I touched on earlier, they played at noon Eastern, so 9 a.m. Pacific, and then... Uh, they beat them 7-0, so they at least salvaged something. And Maeda threw eight scoreless, I believe. Yeah, Maeda went eight innings. He only gave up two hits, no walks, struck out eight batters today. So that was definitely a pleasant turnaround after a, a pretty rough string of starts from him specifically. So that was at least promising in, in a season that has had little promise. Mm. Yeah, I feel like um, injuries have been a bit of a theme so far as well. So Coming into this series, the Dodgers are going to be missing a lot of talent. Obviously, Corey Seager having Tommy John surgery is done for the year. And the Nationals kind of get away with one with Kershaw and Hyunjin Ryu, who both, uh, well, Ryu dominated the Nats in the last series. So is that has that been somewhat of a theme and a little bit of a reason for the depressed record so far? Um, I, I would absolutely a a strong candidate for the top reason as to why the record has been so poor this season, and that you know, injuries kill. And when you lose one star, that's that's devastating. But to lose two stars and to lose three stars and just back to back to back, not only does that hurt the team on the field statistically, but that hurts morale, and that that kills in a locker room to lose somebody like Corey Seager, who has been nothing but productive over the past few seasons, and then to see that he's out for the rest of this year and, and possibly early next season. That's devastating. So absolutely, the the injuries. Yeah, I think Sega is a particularly big loss for the team where it, it was kind of one of those where it felt like it was disappointing for the whole of baseball that they're going to miss out on seeing him for the rest of the season. Yeah, um, he has, he's been showing his face. So, I mean, it, just from a standpoint of, him being there for the team and, and being a part of the roster, even though he can't play. I, I think that they're trying to cover that as much as they can, because I do know that he's a well-liked figure in that clubhouse as he should be having been so good over the past few seasons, but losing a bat that hits anywhere between 275 and 300 and can, can hit 25 home runs. Especially at the top of the order where this season, the Dodgers have struggled particularly uh, with Chris Taylor, who is who, if you're looking between this year and last year, last year looks like a fluke. I mean, this year has not been good. And then to have lost Turner, who's just coming back off of his injury, and, and the number two slot being just kind of up in the air, that was Seager's spot. Seager bat second, and to to not have that production in the two hole and to have such a fluid spot there now is just that that hurts badly. Yeah, you touch on Justin Turner. I've actually got him as my 
main player to watch this season. He came off the DL on Tuesday and went six for 13. So he didn't miss too much of a beat. Obviously, missing the first month and a half is huge. But is he going to be a big part of helping to turn this season around? Absolutely. I mean, he's already been a huge part in turning the season around. I mean, he's he's batting 462 and obviously what's a very small sample size. But today alone of the seven runs that the Dodgers scored against the Marlins, he had five of those RBIs and, and two doubles. So just it just goes to show you that the just the, the slightest change in the lineup or quite major change, if you will, because of Justin Turner, that is a huge difference that they desperately needed. And also just based on the way that the players talk about him, Justin Turner is, is as much a leader as anybody in that clubhouse. And to have him back on the field and have him back off the field, I think goes such a long way for this team. And if they are going to make a turnaround, whether that's a run for the wild card or that's potentially a run for the, the division with the Diamondbacks starting to struggle a little bit, Justin Turner will be a, a key part in any run that they are going to try to make. Yeah, it feels strange having seen the the Mets version of Justin Turner a few years ago and then coming to now thinking that he's going to be such a huge part of the Dodgers team. It doesn't make sense. But it is so seeing... weird. Absolutely. <laughs> this was a second baseman that was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles forever ago. And he he could not hit. He was bounced around the league because he his defense was okay. His bat was worse. And now you're talking about a guy who's a perennial MVP candidate from last season, one of the best performers in the postseason. So I don't know where it clicked, but whatever it was, it was it is a night and day difference from beginning of career to his age 32 season. Well, the Nets can testify to that. They got the same effect from Daniel Murphy. Exactly. <laughs> um, and one other point that I want to touch on is Kenley Jansen, who's been far from his dominant self so far this season. I think he's started to right the ship a bit of late, but um, I noticed one of your guys had an article up about not putting him in save situations, potentially being the cause. Is that what you've seen so far? Um, you know, I, I hate to, to disagree with anything that we've written on our site, but I would actually, I, I wouldn't say that it's not, situ- I wouldn't say it's, it's situations that he's missing out on, whether that's a save situation, high leverage or low leverage. I honestly just think it's a little more simple in that he's not getting playing time. Uh, when, when they're losing so much, the Dodgers have been pretty, I mean, they've been pretty mainstream in that you don't play your closer unless it's a save situation. And we saw it in spring training where Jansen only pitched in three or four games and started out the spring like he normally does. 94, 95 miles an hour, fantastic movement on the cutter. And then you, you shut him off for three more weeks until his next appearance. And to put somebody in cruise control before the season even starts that seemed like the first mistake and that already, I mean, that just got the ball rolling in the wrong direction. And then now to have the season start in such a, in such a poor and slow manner, you have Kenley Jansen not getting in games because Dave Roberts doesn't play Jansen unless it's a safe situation. So for him to miss three, four, five games before he gets back into one, I think it's more a matter of rhythm than it is a matter of situation. And when he comes into a game. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I'm still scarred from the Jansen like, two or three in appearance from the NLDS. But uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> moving on from that, uh, are there any are there any nationals you're uh, keeping an eye on this series? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's almost feels like cheating to say I'm watching Bryce Harper and Max Scherzer just because they're just they're both just fantastic players. I mean, you have Bryce Harper who is in a contract year, which is just that that is a motivator in itself but i mean such a depressant for any other nationals player nationals fan 
to have the, the just the, the potential of losing him. But, I mean, he is always somebody to watch just because he's owned Dodger pitching for a long time with the exception of Kershaw, who he won't see this series. And, uh, and then Max Scherzer, who, I mean, provided it doesn't get rained out tomorrow night, uh, Max Scherzer is a guy who dominates anybody he pitches against. And for him to come in against a team that is, quite frankly, quite cold right now, um, I think that poses a huge threat to how the Dodgers are going to get this. So on that point of Bryce Harper, is uh, is he someone you could realistically see the Dodgers target in? Obviously, Dodgers aren't strangers to going after the big fish in the free agent pool. Yeah, you know, um, if I had to rank the the who is most likely to grab Bryce Harper, um, I would put the Dodgers fourth on that list, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. I think that the Cubs stand the best chance at landing him. They are they are a fairly inexpensive roster right now. I mean, you have a couple guys on there making big bucks, but I mean, it, with the exception of they're going to need to pay Chris Bryant and a couple other of those young guys down the road, um, Bryce Harper fits there. They could use the right fielder, especially if Jason Hayward's going to start to decline, which he clearly is. And, and maybe they're ready to jump ship on that expensive contract. I don't know what they're going to do with it, but there's obviously there's a hole for Bryce Harper anywhere he wants to play. Somebody's going to make room for him. So I put the Cubs at the top of the list, um, and a Nash, Nationals is a close second. And the reason, I mean, I, I've been hearing time and time again, the Nationals have no chance at Bryce Harper, and I think that that is so wrong because for a couple reasons. One, the Nationals are not just going to give up and roll over on a guy like Bryce Harper who has done so much for the organization over the past few years, and. What a PR nightmare it would be to lose Bryce Harper. So I put Nationals second, Yankees third, just because they have the money and they have the will to get him there. And then I put the Dodgers fourth because I know that they're going to check in. Kershaw is obviously the priority this offseason, but if Kershaw, for whatever reason, and it's it's the more unlikely outcome, but if Kershaw decides to stay under his own will and opt into the remaining two years of his contract, Bryce Harper immediately becomes the, the top the top man at the, of the list in which case he becomes a likely candidate to join this team. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think people do wrongly count out the Nationals. They've shown they're not afraid to spend money. They're spending on Worth. They're spending on Scherzer. So it's something you definitely can't rule out. And we'll see. Mike Rizzo can pull these kinds of things off. But it's interesting that you touch on Kershaw. Is he someone that, that's realistically going to leave? I think when I've looked at it before, I don't think I could see him leaving it depends whether he's going to opt in or sign a new contract. I guess the injury may be the only thing that may get him to opt back in for another two years. The injury is a saving grace for the Dodgers right now because if he's not going to play for an extended period of time this year, I personally don't see the benefit in a 30-year-old who spent his first 11 years of his career with the Dodgers leaving on such a low note. So that could, that could easily play well for him in staying here. And the other factor is just legacy, and he needs to consider the fact that he is one of the best pitchers of all time. And what would it do to his career to leave the team that he has spent so much time with, built such a fan base with, and such a reputation with? I mean, to, to leave that team, that tarnishes a reputation no matter where you go. But again, if we're being totally honest here, and, and we're putting aside the fact that, I mean, it'd be great if Kershaw stayed here because he would truly keep this team afloat. Um, there is a legitimate chance, and I don't know how big it is, but I'd say that it, it, it'd be naive to not consider it, that he makes a homecoming to Dallas. This is a, He lives in Dallas during the offseason. His family's there. Everybody knows this is, that Kershaw is a Dallas, Texas guy. 
And for him to at least not consider playing for the Texas Rangers and for fans to not consider him moving to the Texas Rangers, I think that is short-sighted. So I would say that there's a, a great chance that he returns here, but there has to be a small chance he goes elsewhere, namely the Rangers. Yeah, I don't think you can ever rule out anyone. Everyone thought Robinson Cano was going to go back to the Yankees and then lo and behold, he ends up with the Mariners. But I think the Dodgers have to be top of the list for retaining Kershaw. Yeah, uh, I mean, they, they, like the Nationals with Harper, are going to have to go absolutely all out to get this guy back for so many reasons. A, statistically speaking, he's the best player on the roster. And B, to lose a guy like Kershaw, you lose half of your fan base who, who are the Kershaw fans alone. You can kiss them goodbye because no Kershaw means means just nightmare. So it's an all-out war for the Dodgers to get you guys back. Hmm. Uh, and kind of touching on some of the other Nationals, I know that Matt Adams has been hitting well uh, in general this season. He's kind of cooled off of late going 111 over the last seven days. But with two lefted, left-handed pitchers coming up, I think he might rest. I think Ross Stripling has some weird reverse splits going on. Uh, I'm kind of curious to hear what the perception of Matt Adams' season from the outside has been. Um, you know, I, I, I'm impressed but not surprised. I feel like Matt Adams has always kind of just been the quietly good guy on whatever roster he's playing for, and this year is just no exception. He's always had that powerful swing, and, and he's, statistically speaking, he kind of stri- – he's inconsistent across righties and lefties pitching. But, I mean, he's just a guy that you can plug in off of the bench, and he's a solid guy. And, and from the outside watching in for the Nationals, I think that Matt Adams has lived up to expectations. And he has been struggling lately, but to count him out just because of recent struggle seems a little bit harsh. And I, I'd say I'm impressed from an outside-looking in standpoint. Yeah, I think we've all been pleasantly surprised we expect him to be good but I think Adam Lynn set the bar so high for us last season that getting Adams in and doing what he's done has been great for the team especially with Ryan Zimmerman's struggles and, and and for Matt Adams something that I've especially admired this year mostly is just how powerful he is because you know he he 10 home runs this early is is beyond what I think he's really known for when it comes to power I mean, I've, he's always been a powerful guy, but this has been a very early showing of some seriously hard hitting. And I mean, he's only, I, I don't I exactly know, you guys are in the early 40s of baseball games. I know the Dodgers just played their 43rd today. So 10 home runs in that many games. And this is a guy that comes off the bench. He has less than 100 at bats this season. Seriously impressive. Mm. So now we're going to look up to each of the matchups individually that are coming up this weekend. So first off, somewhat of a mismatch, no offense to Ross Stripling. Uh, we've got Ross Stripling against Max Scherzer on Friday at 7.05 Eastern. So Max Scherzer 7-1 with a 169 ERA. Very nice. Uh, Ross Stripling 0-1 with a 2-2-0 ERA. Um, I kind of want to say how do you see this one going, but I think I'm going to – I think I know where you're going to go with this. Um, actually, I might surprise you, I think. Uh, Ross Stripling has been quietly one of the best players on the Dodgers roster this year, and people count him out just because nobody's ever heard of him. And the reason nobody hears him is because originally to start this season and the majority of last year, this is a guy that was in the bullpen. And the year before that, he was a starting pitcher, and he was a rookie starting pitcher. So, I mean, he, was, he wasn't a rookie of the year candidate, and so for that reason, nobody's heard of the guy. But if you look at him this year, he hasn't he – hasn't, 
ERA plus for those of you who are listening and not familiar with it is a statistic that puts pitchers on an even scale across all of baseball. It levels out bar, ballpark factors and bad luck plays, and it puts them on a scale of 100. And if a, if a pitcher is has a 100 ERA plus, they're considered league average. If you're below 100, you're obviously below league average, and above, you're above. Ross Stripling this season has a 176 ERA plus. So that is far past any numbers that would indicate this season has been a fluke for him. And they're they're quite impressive, to be perfectly honest with you. He's been successful in his starts, but I mean, I, I can't. I'm not going to tell you he's better than Max Scherzer. Um, I, I what I would argue here is that the number, the final score of this game will not be as lopsided as one might think it will be. I think that the Nationals obviously have the upper hand here because the Dodgers lineup can get shut down by Scherzer easily. But I think that Ross Stripling has the opportunity to go five, six innings of really good baseball. And if he gives up one to two runs, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I think that's going to be the primary thing to watch. Obviously, like you said, he's coming out of the bullpen. It will be just his third start. So if he's only going four or five innings and the Nationals get into that bullpen quickly, then the game could get out of hand. But if he does go, say, six innings, one, two run ball, keep it close. And then with the Nationals kind of middle relief being a bit iffy this season, then the Dodgers might have a chance. But it's always difficult to get better against Max Scherzer. Agreed. Um, so have you got a score prediction for this one? Um, I want to keep it low scoring. If, if Stripling was as more stretched out than he is, I don't see them letting him pitch past the sixth inning, even if he's magnificent tomorrow. So with that being said, I think that this game can get out of hand later than earlier. Um, I, I want to give the nationals four runs tomorrow, uh, maybe one or two against Stripling and one or two against the bullpen. And I think the Dodgers muster out two or three runs. I really do think tomorrow is going to be closer than fans expect. Yeah, I think my uh, my score prediction was four one. Okay. Touched on Stripling had he's got a good ERA again. It's all about that length for him. Uh, moving on to Saturday, we've got Rich Hill against Tanner Roark at seven oh five Eastern. Tanner Roark two and three with a three 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 ERA, and Rich Hill one and two with a six two zero ERA. So what's the cause behind that high ERA? I know he's had the injuries, which obviously forced the big Kershaw-Scherzer matchup that I was at, just saying. Um, but what's caused that inflated ERA? Um, uh, if we're really being honest here, I think it's just his luck is running out. Um, Rich Hill is a two-pitch pitcher. And in the history of baseball, two-pitch pitchers tend to stop fooling people after a while. And I understand he's got the, the special curveball that he can throw in different ways with different arm slots and whatever, and that makes it a different pitch in itself, but it's a curveball. And his other pitch is a fastball, which makes him a two-pitch pitcher, and I don't care about the arm slot. So if, if we're being honest, I just think he's been figured out. And it could have something to do with his finger, which is, which is constantly hurt. Uh, he, I mean, he, it started to get hurt again at the end of last game too. So his, his, he's been inconsistent. He starts games either slow or really hot. There's been no in-between. And then if the beginning starts well, then the end is bad. And if the, end is, if the beginning is, is good, then the end is bad. So, I mean, it, it's just been inconsistency from him that's led to poor statistics. Mm. Yeah, I feel like Tanner Roark's kind of having the same feel about him. He's either had 
dominant starts where he's gone seven innings, one run, and he's actually raised his strikeout totals this year. Or he dropped he's dropped two or three clunkers so far. So it's a tricky one to predict. And I think I've got the Dodgers edge in this one. I hate predicting sweeps. It always feels way too optimistic. So I think the Dodgers win kind of a fireworks show, seven to six, seven to five kind of type score. Have you got a prediction? Yeah, I, I was actually going to say it's going to be three to one Dodgers. And the reason I'm going to give the edge to the Dodgers in this game is because Tanner Roark hasn't been, he hasn't been absolutely crushed on home runs, but he has given up seven home runs this season. And if there's one thing the Dodgers have done well this season, it's hit solo home runs in unfortunately meaningless scenarios. But if they can keep the game close early tomorrow and touch up Roark for a couple solo shots, that gives them an opportunity to win this game. Uh, again, it'll come down to the bullpen. Because if Rich Hill can get to the sixth inning, that's a good start. Yeah, it feels like, especially in the first two games where you've got Strickland, who may not give a lot of length, and Rich Hill, who you could knock out early, the Nats could make a huge impact on the bullpen early in the series. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that, that will be where it'll not be players, but it'll come down to the management, like Dave Roberts. Uh, where will he play certain players? to try and either preserve them or like, for example, in game one, if Stripling has allowed one, two, maybe even three runs, do you let him keep going and get up to, because last game they let him get to 75 pitches. So maybe this time they let him get to 90 and however far that's going to take him, let it go regardless of runs. Uh, we'll have to see, because I think that that game one will be a, a huge factor in how the rest of the series plays out. And then finally on Sunday, we've got Alex Wood wrapping up against Steven Strasburg Sunday at 1.35 p.m. Uh, I hope you've got your coffee. Another early morning for the West Coast yeah. fan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Strasburg 5-3 and three with a 3.28 ERA. And Alex Wood 0-4 with a 3.35 ERA. Is that going back to what you were saying before? There's only one area that's good. And when Alex Wood, Wood's pitching, the offense disappears perfect scenario of a pitcher's record is not indicative of how good he's been in a season. And this is so strongly the case because Alex Wood has been effective. He has been one of the Dodgers better pitchers in terms of length in a game. Uh, he has been a strikeout machine and Oh, for four, I don't know. It doesn't match the rest of the numbers. And the, the truth is there's been no run support every single time he takes the field, but if they can get it, against Steven Strasburg, which is no easy task. Uh, I think Alex Wood gives this team a chance to win every time he goes out there. And that, that was a trend that started last year, and he's kept going now. So it, the Dodgers have a good chance at this game if they can just back Wood up. Yeah, he was a, he was a surprise Cy Young candidate to start off the season. I think he had about one ERA heading into July, didn't he? He did. He, he didn't lose a ball game at the All-Star break and lost his first game in his first start after that. So he had an incredibly impressive season last year and his just all around statistically was, was fantastic. Hmm. I know a few of the Nats have actually got the better of him. Bryce has a 400 average, Rendon 632, Michael A. Taylor even has a 571 and that's not... That's, <laughs> that's one person if they're beating you, you've um, had an interesting time. But then Steven Strasburg has also had an interesting time against Justin Turner. Turns three for seven with two home runs and five RBIs. So could Turner play big in this one, potentially being the catalyst to start off against Strasburg? 
Well, I think that just goes back to what you and I talked about earlier and that Justin Turner is really going to be the spark to this offense that is so cold. So if, if Turner can, can jump out against Strasburg early and, and just continue his early success in his career against Strasburg on Sunday, I think that that alone gives the Dodgers a chance to win because keep in mind, Alex Wood is 0 for 4 with no Justin Turner in the lineup. Justin Turner has not played in an Alex Wood start. So could that change? Because now, now you're putting a guy who has been shut down without Justin Turner to shut down potentially with Justin Turner in the lineup against a guy who he's hit well against. So that that right there is a promising combination for me going into Sunday. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's a low-key pitcher's job because obviously people will talk about Kershaw and Scherzer when, when the Dodgers and Nationals match up. But then Wood and Strasburg, the number two starters, are going to probably combine to give up one or two runs combined. This will be a low-scoring game for sure, regardless of who wins it. Yeah, I think I've got 2-1 Nationals. I think. Oh, I see. I was going to go one nothing Dodgers. I was keeping this really close. I was, <laughs> I was yeah. Dodgers. I think it's going to come down to the bullpens again. The Nationals' middle relief has been a bit sketchy, and we'll see. How, you can never predict those those types of games. And a statistic that I mean, if you don't mind, a statistic I'd like to provide here is that Alex Wood and Steven Strasburg have been some of the best in baseball this year at longevity and a start. As Steven Strasburg leads the league with six point seven innings. I don't. I mean, that's just the average, but the six point seven innings per start. And Alex Wood has also been up there in the low sixes. So these are two guys who can really pitch late into a game. So who knows? I mean, both I, – I think we can agree that both teams' bullpens towards the middle innings have been pretty iffy. You don't really know mm. what you're going to get on a given day. And if this is a game where these two starters are going to pitch the seventh or eighth inning, we could really be in for a treat in terms of a pitcher's duel. And it's, it's a pitcher's duel that doesn't get enough attention because, like you mentioned, Kershaw and Scherzer are the headliners of these two teams. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's going to be an interesting game. You guys, obviously, are a lot better than your record speaks. And people are going to come into this seeing that, oh, yeah, they're a struggling team. We should be taking two, if not a sweep. And it's not going to be that easy. It could happen, but it's not going to be, like I said, not that easy. Yeah, I mean, I don't don't ever count out the sweep. And don't count it out from the Dodgers. Who knows? Maybe <laughs> this is the, uh, the series that we turn it around in. But... Uh, just I think that going into this series, it's the best way to look at it is there the pitching is what will determine how this series plays out. You have the nationals best pitchers going in this series in Scherzer and Strasburg, and then you have guys who are, are under a little more underrated pitching, like Ross Stripling and Alex Wood is being counted out because of his record. And then and, and so really I think that this will be a competitive series from start to finish, and it will come down to as you and I have countlessly mentioned in this podcast, the bullpen. The bullpen will determine, I think, who wins this series. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd like to say thanks to Jacob for joining me today. He's been a great guest, and I think we're all going to be looking forward to this series. So where can our listeners find you? So, uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having us out on, on the podcast. I, I really enjoyed talking about this coming series. And uh, if you guys want to give us a follow, we are on Twitter at DodgersWayFS. And then if you'd like to follow me personally for more Dodgers news, just in my opinions, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jacob underscore Rudner. And uh, I, I hope you guys follow me. Perfect. Okay. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you.
So finally, we're going to look at some listener questions that we got in. Uh, unfortunately, our <laughs> only one was from one of our own contributors, Delton Hughes, and he says, with one site developing and Victor Robles injured currently, uh, but developing as well, uh, and eating on a team-friendly contract for the next few years, is it really important that we re-sign Bryce Harper? And I think I touched on it with Jacob there, that it really is important, not so much for the on-field production, but the message it sends out that you're potentially letting one of your biggest stars walk out. Uh, he's been Mr. Washington in baseball terms for the past six years now. So it's huge if they can re-sign him off the field more than anything. And then he can really go on to cement himself as one of the greats of the game who stayed with one team throughout his career. And then it shouldn't factor in the stuff like Hall of Fame. But when you start doing stuff like that, it really weighs on the voters that, yes, he was that kind of player that stayed with the same team for the whole of his career. So that wraps us up this week. So check out some of our content on site this week. We put a couple excellent pieces up on Thursday. Brian wrote a great piece on why we shouldn't be panicking about Bryce Harper. And there's going to be a breakout coming soon for him. He's hitting the ball harder than ever. His Babbitt batting average on balls in play is ridiculously low that his average won't stay in the 230s. It's going to be peaking at about 280, 290 at some point. Uh, and I also predicted which Nats could make the All-Star team in the home All-Star game at Nationals Park this year uh, and who might end up getting snubbed. I think we mentioned a few names, but I don't want to give it away too much. So remember to follow us on Twitter at District On Deck. Give us a like on Facebook, District On Deck. You can follow us on Spreaker. There's a downloadable app you can have, uh, and that will download episodes for you to listen offline. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes or Google Play now uh, and get episodes automatically downloaded to your phone for you. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday as the Nats host the Padres at Nats Park, uh, who want revenge for their series loss just a, a couple of weeks ago. So we'll see you then. 